0: Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us this afternoon, or this morning, depending on your time zone. Um, I have the privilege of speaking with Professor DeSoto, who is a STEM professor at Diné College. It's a tribal college in Arizona, and the title of our podcast is Looking at Tribal Governments Versus White Supremacy, Resisting Colonializing Behaviors at Tribal Colleges. And so I certainly want to thank Professor DeSoto for taking time out of his busy schedule and to educate us further about some of the issues that are happening at the tribal colleges. Uh, Welcome this afternoon, Professor. How are you?
1: Thank you, Professor Hollis. Um, It's a pleasure to talk to you again. And um, you have been very helpful um, to Diné College and the Navajo Nation and helping us deal with the issue we're gonna talk about right now. So thank you. Thank you so much.
0: And just to get everybody warmed up, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career and how it brought you to Danae College?
1: Well, currently I'm um, the ranking professor of STEM at Danae College and I'm president of the Faculty Association and I'm chair of the promotion and ranking committee. I um, have been in academics most of my life. I have an MD in medicine and a PhD in pharmacogenetics from Howard University, and then a doctorate in national security and intelligence from Henley Putnam University in California. And so, I've been in academics um, most of my life, um, within either medicine or STEM. I did spend um, several years in operations for the Central Intelligence Agency, and so I've been I've had a um, pleasure of working um, with different communities, especially the African American and their histor- and the historically black colleges and universities. Um, I. Myself, I grew up very poor. When I was in high school, I um, did fairly well. I graduated with a 3.9 average, and I still remember the time when uh, they, my um, teachers in high school, told me to go get a job at Taco Bell. Mm. Well, some of the students that I tutored, who were Caucasian, who had a C average, they told those students to go to college. And that happened to my other friends who are African-American or um, Hispanic. Personally, I am um, Hopi Indian on my mother's side and Sephardic Jewish on my father's side. Um, One of the reasons I came to the Southwest to work at Dene College is I saw it as an opportunity to work with individuals who had a similar culture that I grew up with. And my ancestors, um, in addition to being from the Southwest for the last 40,000 years, um, on my father's side, Sephardic Jews, um, immigrated to this area um, to escape the Inquisition in Mexico and Spain um, prior to the existence of the, the United States government. And so all of this coalesced to bring me to Denae College that plus I had some bad experiences working at predominantly white colleges in my in the past which made me then go to the historically black colleges where I was treated a lot better and so now I'm here at Denae College.
0: Understood thank you for sharing that could you explain for us how tribal law is an integral part of uh, tribal colleges and university governance and culture?
1: Well, unlike other colleges, the indigenous respect all people, irregardless of social class or sex. And in fact, the Navajo Nation and most indigenous colleges and most indigenous tribes are actually matriarchal and not patriarchal. And so there's a a greater focus not only on the individual and on the community, but on the family. And this permeates in the college. Um, It is by law that there is a faculty senate, it is by law there is a staff senate, it is by law there is a student senate, and each one of those has a representation on the governing board. And in addition, um, we operate um, to the Navajo concepts of thinking, planning, living, and assuring. And that is towards, we address that or we apply it to all people. And um, so the tribal law reflects the tribal Culture. And that's the same thing we see in the greater Caucasian culture because the law does not represent right or wrong, it does not represent evil or goodness, it represents the legalization of the majority white culture. And because of that, this is why we see other minority groups who commit the minority of crimes be the majority of prisoners because the white law criminalizes the cultures of other people.
2: Hmm.
0: And it's, that's really a shame. It's interesting you bring up that point as I think we're in the second day of the George Floyd trials now in Minnesota. So I certainly appreciate your remark. It sounds like, and I get this from when I spoke with you before, there are some really wonderful attributes about tribal law and governance could you share what you find to be some of the best qualities of tribal law and governance at a college or university
1: well the tribal law and governance it's based not on the individual it's based on the family clan community and nation and so When decisions are made, the question is not what's best for oneself, what is best for my family? What is best for our clan? What is best for the tribal nation? In addition, um, as president of the faculty senate, we have a different culture completely. We don't take votes 51 to 49 where 51% the majority dominates over the opinions of the 49, we go by consensus. And that's how the school operates in that everyone has to have a say and everyone has to agree, which means everyone gives up a little bit and everyone gets a little bit of what they want and that gives consensus. And so, this is one place where we conflict with the majority culture. And I'll speak about that a little bit later. In addition, it's respect for one's elders. And so my students, we don't have students disrupting class like I found at other colleges. We don't have students being disrespectful because of the respect for one's elders. So though everyone has a say, The final decision is usually given by the elders of the group after they get the the consensus of everybody and they'll just say, everyone says this, so let's do this. Is that okay with everyone? And that type of matter. So though the elders have the most influence, we still maintain consensus. And so we see this even at the markets on the nation where the elders are given respect
2: mm-hmm.
1: and again we'll see later how this conflicts with the majority population culture
0: wow okay so so in such a situation where if you don't get to consensus you keep working until you do is that what you're saying
1: in most cases unless it's an emergency situation
2: mm-hmm.
1: where yeah. it's we need a response immediately then what will happen is is that instead of the entire group the elders of the group will get together okay and because it's easier to get consensus with a smaller group and so then they will um try to reach consensus among the smaller group of elders And if still we can't get consensus, and I haven't seen this happen before, but it theoretically can, then it'll probably go to the most respected person who has the content knowledge for whatever the issue is. Okay,
0: that makes
1: sense. And because that person is respected, because they're an elder, it will be assumed that his, decision or her decision is in the best interest of everyone involved and again this is actually a matriarchal society and so most of the decision makers are actually female though it's not sexist in the sense that there's also male decision makers but property rights and family decisions are usually made by the female not the male
0: Understood. So how does this tribal law and these expectations, how are they infused in, say, student services, advising, or career services? Could you provide us an example from a student services perspective?
1: Sure. So we think of thinking, planning, living, and assuring. Those are the four principles of, of, of the Navajo Nation. And so one thing is they want to study their own language, history, and culture. What happened in the past is that where children at the Navajo Nation, Zuni, Apache, and Ute and other neighboring tribes, children were taken away from their parents at a young age in the past. So they would come, and the law enforcement or the tribe or the Bureau of Indian Affairs would come to the house and basically take the child out of the home. And send them to community schools where students were beaten, sometimes tortured, if they did not dress white, if they spoke in their original tongue, or if they did not show obedience to white people.
0: Is this what we talked about before, and I'm going to put it in quotes, normal schools?
1: Yes, we call that the normal schools, which would be the white schools. schools. And here what they were, it was actually run by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And it went according not only to their culture, but it went a step further by students actually getting beaten, starved. And this just happened a few decades ago. Wow. And so Danae College, which is the oldest tribal college in the country, this was developed so that the Navajo and the adjoining tribes could take a hold of their own culture, uh, be able to dress like their ancestors dressed, be able to speak like their ancestors spoke, be able to respect their elders, be able to raise the children according to their values. And the other part of the white supremacy was, which we know um, was the introducing of Christianity based on Jesus is white. And if you're not white, you're evil. And it got so bad that in Shiprock, at the turn of the century, they nailed Navajo to the cross on the main road going to Farmington for not respecting Jesus Christ. And so that's an atrocity that happened here that's not in our history books, but it's within the memory of our tribes over here. So, if you did not want to pray to Jesus, who of course we know was darker skinned and had darker hair because it was from the Middle East where Africa and Asia intersect, that if you did not follow that, there was a problem. And they actually nailed Navajo men, women, and children to crosses here on the reservation.
0: I did not know that. Um, I'm a bit slack-jawed at that. And and I appreciate your sharing that history. If I may ask a follow-up, would you say then the tribal colleges are in response or an overt resistance to the normal schools and the attempt to take away indigenous culture? So that's the basis and the mission of Tribal colleges.
1: Yes, absolutely. Wow.
0: And so, can you discuss something that we, you, and I have discussed previously? So, when you in this current day, so Denae colleges set up. I believe there's is it thirty seven tribal colleges. I believe. I think
1: there's about thirty seven. We're the oldest,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and um, we are currently working on graduate programs. And because of COVID, we're considering a medical school, physician assistant, and a law school so that we can take care of ourselves. I remember in COVID, um, it was actually um, Danae College, which had the initial papers on um, how what was causing COVID, how to treat COVID. That all came out of indigenous research.
2: Oh.
1: However, it was glossed over in the United States, because we're not white, therefore we must be stupid, and therefore it was ignored, but it went it went um, very well in Europe in Asia that they looked at our research a lot. Okay. Well we were ignored in our own country. and um, so um, our college itself, we want to maintain our the culture and we want to also um, be alike um, to what's happening also to the discrimination that's happened against the historically black colleges. Mm-hmm. Now, we initially were the first ones to speak out against COVID and because we saw what was happening in our researchers The governor of New Mexico said this would be an existential threat because the Navajo, and I won't go into the biology, and other indigenous tribes because of their biology were especially susceptible to COVID. And so we had a 500% increase in the death rate from COVID compared to the Caucasians. And we were asking and begging for money. Mm -hmm. And what happened was, as usually happens, the Trump administration and our government funneled the money to Harvard University, Stanford University, to the predominantly white and wealthy colleges. Mm -hmm. And those colleges got the money automatically. We had to apply for it and got it several months later um, when the pandemic was on the downside. And the same thing happened to our brother and sister, historically black colleges. They also were pushed to the side and got their monies later also, even though African-Americans also have a higher death rate.
0: Sure. Wow. Um, I appreciate you sharing all of that. It certainly gives me pause and I will go back and listen to the recording. It does make me wonder, so what happens when faculty come from the outside to tribal colleges, whether they're black faculty or white faculty or Latino faculty. So you now have faculty coming from the outside into your culture. How does that work out? Um,
1: Well, usually, um, and from, um, I I don't know how to explain this, but we haven't had any um, problems with, African American or Latino faculty. They seem to assimilate well into um, the culture here. But we have had um, many problems with some of the Caucasian faculty because they believe, no matter what their credentials are, that they're better than the indigenous faculty, that they're better than the African American or Hispanic. It's kind of an arrogance. And so we'll have an assistant professor who has maybe published two papers in their life and just graduated and they'll be Caucasian. They will talk down to a full professor who's indigenous, who's published 200 papers. And they will interrupt them while they're speaking. And that's two problems, that's two major problems here because we, it goes against the principle of one, respecting your elders, because our average age of our four professors is over 60. Mm-hmm. And so we'll have a 20 something assistant professor pop down to them because they think they're better than them. and. That's one problem. The second is, we already know in academics that women get treated like second-class citizens.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, it's magnified here when our female faculty are treated like they, badly, like they would be at a predominantly white college, because this is a matriarchal society. hmm and it's telling someone's grandmother, slapping someone's grandmother in the face. And so the disrespect. Second, bringing their culture here. Here, we the decision is what's best for the department or what's best for the school. They say what's best for me. And so instead of considering the students or the other faculty, what their needs are, they will want to say, teach what their specialty is, even if it has no relevance for the tribe or for the college.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Third mm-hmm. is they want to bring their culture here. And so they will try, they did, but it didn't work out. Is they'll tell the students, you know, if you're one minute late, You're gonna fail the test, or you're gonna do this, or you're going you're not gonna have a chance to make it up, or we're gonna take 10 points. We don't do that because we assume here that if you're late to class, it's because you live far away, or be or be or because there was traffic, because our students on average live an hour away from class, so they got to drive to class. Okay, and so all of these things add up and then within the faculty senate we try to go by consensus and the white faculty would try to bring in robert's rules of order and which is and then try to filibuster if they didn't like what the majority of the faculty were were reaching consensus on and so they would start to filibuster and not let anyone talk well, that violates our culture. Everyone has the right to speak. Right. Second is we have our own rules that got our Senate, but they would try to bring that, you know, Robert's Rules of Order. Well, we're not British. Okay? <laughs> right. And we do not believe that two people can pigeonhole a, a, a discussion. And so they would do that. And then it would get worse they would then be abusive and so when people said this isn't how we do things they would start the personal attack so we had one incident where our african-american brother was called a monkey we had another one where in order to get away from the argument they said they would tell uh, a Navajo that why are you discussing this, anyways? You smell those type of things. And this goes on to the, um, you know, your next question, which I'll, I'll allow you for the sake of the audience to know where we're going.
0: How does this hurt the faculty? And it sounds like quite a disruption. And in fact, you and I have talked about how these seem like colonizing and imperialist behaviors to come from the outside and impose their own cultures onto a well-established uh, process of governance that's grounded in tribal law. So we're, uh, how do these disruptions hurt the faculty, the mission, the operations? And do you have an example of such?
1: First and foremost, it hurts the students. We have um, had incidents where a faculty member would, for instance, most, um, without getting into too much specifics, you know, we, uh, most of our old faculty here, historically had been involved with um, environmental studies. And most of our STEM faculty has been Caucasian. The reason is, is because it was hard to find indigenous faculty in STEM. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons are that STEM has always been considered a white male prerogative. And so whether you're in high school or college, only white males tended to be pushed into STEM. That in the addition that in the, up to the 1970s, um, some schools still did not admit people of color. Right. We didn't have this history of having qualified STEM or biomedical people. So the school by necessity STEM alone had to have a majority, had a majority white faculty, but Again, their focus was on their own little research or their own teaching, say the environment or on insects. But what the Navajo Nation needed, we needed engineers. We needed doctors. We needed nurses. Mm -hmm. We didn't need that many people who are concerned about the environment, though that is important. We needed to be more diverse. Mm -hmm. And so they opposed that based on their own interest. And so when we started moving forward with new programs like biomedical and medical schools and law schools, these faculty first wanted to preserve their own interest. Okay. And so what they did was, the first thing they tried to do is work on our students by telling the students, you know, we're considering, graduate school here. However, I don't think you guys are prepared enough. And and we even had one faculty member said that the indigenous were genetically inferior during the class.
0: Oh no. So then what happens to a faculty member who is so disrespectful of the culture and the people?
1: Well, that's the other issue. They take advantage as colonialism of the indigenous. The indigenous are very forgiving. And because and because of what happened in the past where mining interest would fire people at random if you if you if if it was on an unhealthy mind if they were paying you below minimum wage you would get fired we have very strong labor protection and this goes to um, to the culture now that our system we don't have tenure but if you're a faculty member your job is actually more secure than another college where they have tenure because you're not going to get fired because of the response to what happened in the past to the navajo nation and second is part of the navajo culture is to give special protection for those who are mentally deficient are, mo- are those who are different. And so if we have, say a person who's transgender and they, it's a male who dresses as a female, it's, it's a non-issue for us. Uh, it's basically, this is who they are, and, you know, and, and they should be allowed to live the life as who they are. And so when people start acting up, the first impression are, is, well, if this person is saying racially charged words, then maybe they were discriminated in the past. So they, they always get the benefit of the doubt.
2: Hmm.
1: And so they take advantage of that when in fact, these assumptions may from my experience are just wrong Mm -hmm. because we're actually dealing with real white supremacy. Mm. And it's something that really disrupts the, the college. And so then the next thing to do is, well, when a person is that disruptive, you just turn your back on them and just leave them alone. And so... That's good and okay when you're on the reservation and people are far apart from one another. But when you're in an organization and everyone has to do their job, it can can be very harmful. And it could be very harmful to any student. Now, one thing I wanna make clear, the problem is not systemic at the college. The problem is limited to a handful of people Who are white supremacists, and they're not, you know, they're not doing a Nazi salute. They're not neo Nazis. It's worse. It's, they may be so racist that they don't even realize it themselves. But we see it when they talk to other faculty members. They, because of the color of the other faculty members' skin, they assume that they're right and they must be wrong, regardless of their lack of qualifications or the tremendous qualification of a minority faculty member. And so they, it's, it's white privilege gone extreme.
0: So if I may understand you correctly, because in your, in Danae's case, Danae College's case, because the Navajo governance structure and, and uh, social mores, if you will, are more forgiving and more tolerant, and even willing to walk away from a conflict respectfully, that those uh, values in the Navajo culture are actually used against Indigenous people because then the uh, abuse or the supremacist behaviors are allowed to continue because they haven't been checked. While in the Navajo point of view, it's more of let's be patient and try to work this out. Is Am I understanding you correctly?
1: Absolutely. And it ha- it's happened, it's it's a repeated story. We always have this myth about Thanksgiving. What actually happened to Thanksgiving? So when our pilgrims from England were starving to death, the indigenous people gave them food. It wasn't shared food like it's portrayed. It was the indigenous saying, we don't want you to die, have food. And so when they're at the table eating together, that never happened. Okay? Mm -hmm. And they try to make it like, oh, we're joining our resources together and we help each other survive. That's not true. They were starving to death. The indigenous gave them food. But because they're Christian, the, the pilgrims, they weren't allowed to even eat with the indigenous. And then the following year, what happened? The same people that were saved by the indigenous, the next time they ran into the the indigenous tribes, they murdered them all.
0: Oh my God. So that's
1: the type of Thanksgiving. And so they took advantage of everyone's kindness. And we see this as a historical thing. We saw this happen in India. We saw this happen in Africa. We saw this happen in China. Yes, we'll trade with you. Yes, we'll give you shelter. Yes, we'll give you food. And the next thing you know, the whole system's taken over. And so the Africans are enslaved. The the Indians and East India are enslaved. The Chinese are enslaved. And it's a repeated story. And so they try to do it here. But this is when I contacted you, Mm -hmm. Professor Hollis, and we came up with approaches. Now, again, what we did was we took the Navajo principle of turning your back to the next stage. So those people were no longer on committees. Their teaching assignments were minimized. Their, I personally had them, um, and this is part of my culture, I personally had those people thrown out of the faculty senate. And now things are going a lot better things
0: are better. That's good.
1: But it was stress. And I don't want to give the impression that we have a lot of racism or a lot of dysfunction at Denae College. We don't, but we do have these isolated areas where we have a handful of faculty who make up two or 3% of the college causing 98% of the problems. And it was like a cancer. And so my majority of our faculty are indigenous. Then we have a lot of uh, Hispanics. We have some African-Americans. But particularly in STEM, we have a lot of Caucasian faculty. They did not respect our elders. They did not respect our women. They did not respect our children. It was about them. And it, it hurt a lot of our students. And again, 97% of our faculty were doing a good job. And a lot of our Caucasian faculty were doing a good job. But we had a handful of Caucasian family faculty who it's about themselves. And we have our, we're better than you because we're white. And we can top down to you. And we can treat you like you're our slave. And so we had just a handful caused a lot of damage. Mm -hmm. And so again, the majority of faculty are good. I -hmm. mean, what we have to do, because it's a community approach, a lot of our students, one third of our students do not have electricity at their house. One third of our students do not have running water. And so certainly they don't have a car. So for my classes, I would actually go drive an hour to pick up some of my students and bring them to class. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm one person, but a lot of our faculty, white included, would do that. We go pick up our students. Again, we would then ask for student services, they do it too. And so we, it's a community effort. It's not about the community, it's not about us. But when three or four or five people don't do that, they can cause a lot of damage.
0: A lot of problems.
1: And imagine we, if you have a class where you have a faculty member, he looks at the students as animals and he fails 49 out of 50 people. That just hurt 49 people. Sure. But that was only one person doing it. And if everyone else does their job, we still hurt 49 people. Uh-huh. One person. And in fact, that actually did happen. Uh-huh. We had you... one faculty member for uh-huh. one semester, he failed in all fifty students. Second semester he passed one or two. Oh my he God. was not terminated because of this concept uh-huh. of forgiveness, this concept of let's see uh-huh. why he's doing this." Uh-huh. And then he did it again. Uh-huh. And they wanted to forgive him a third time. But I spoke up and I said, uh-huh. no. I said these people are not following our rules. They do not believe what we are doing. They are taking advantage of our culture, and so that one person was let go. And so that um, it took a lot of time. And personally, I don't like to see anyone lose their job. That's not the way we do things here. But there has to come a point when you're hurting so many people. We have to do something. There comes a point when turning our back isn't enough. There comes a point when being forgiving is taken advantage of.
0: Sure.
1: And it, it and it again just a few people in key positions at any college. If they are are malignant, they can disrupt the whole college, even when ninety seven percent of the rest. Of the of the faculty, the rest of the staff, they could be content experts. They could be living saints. Mm -hmm. Those handful of people could still do a lot of damage.
0: If I may, uh, Professor DeSoto, what message would you give to people, whether they're faculty or staff, who are considering employment at a tribal college?
1: Well, tribal college, People are respected and we um, do not look negatively at diversity. We just see that as part of the human condition. And um, at a tribal college, you have job security. You have the ability to create. And if you happen to be a indigenous person, if you happen to be African-American, or if you happen to be a female, that will not, you won't get treated negatively because of that, like you might at some other colleges. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And um, we take care of each other. And so you become part of the tribe or part of of the family. So if you're sick, people are going to every day Try to follow up and help you. Um, If you, they'll volunteer to teach your classes if they see that you're getting sick. And you'll, and so you get treated like you're part of the family because everyone is important. And then our students are very well behaved. Wonderful. There's no class disruptions, there's no talking back to the faculty member, there's no walking out of class early because they respect their elders. And as a faculty member, in their eyes, you are an elder. And so they will interact with you like they would if they're a functional family, like they would their own grandparents or their own parents. Uh Except to be frank with you, our students have more respect for their parents than we see outside of the tribes. sure. And so it's going back to a time in this country when there was respect for one's parents or one's grandparents. And so this, it's a comfortable place to be. Mm -hmm. It's a forgiving place to be and it's a good place to create.
0: Wonderful. And then to wrap up, because I know we're coming at the time, what advice would you give to tribal college colleagues, that is at other schools about dealing with culturally disrespectful behavior?
1: Well, of course, a point would be that others will take advantage of the forgiving culture. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Um, Number two is that We have to understand that white supremacy is real and that there is this sense of superiority that they'll have towards non-whites. And often it's so ingrained that the person doing it is not aware of it. And so I would say caution during hiring to make sure that that individual is going to respect their elders, that's going to respect their colleagues, that they're going to respect their students. Mm -hmm. And I would say this, I'd give the same advice to the historically black colleges and universities, Mm -hmm. and to any college where you're considered a minority, and when you're looked down upon because of your skin color, when you're looked down upon because you have a different culture, and you know the culture that we have here from the indigenous nations goes back forty thousand years. Wow. The culture that the African colleges have goes back ten thousand years. The cultures of white supremacy goes back only 500 years. And so the truth is, we talk about our technological superiority in the United States. or the majority culture, but there is a cultural deficit. Mm-hmm. Because whether we're talking about Africa, whether we're, we're talking about the indigenous nations, whether we're talking about the Chinese. Our culture was thriving thousands of years before the predominant white culture. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: When we had civilizations, and we still see the ruins out here that are thousands of years old,
2: Mm.
1: from the original inhabitants. When we Mm -hmm. had science, when we had our history, the northern Europeans were running around naked or in sheepskins. In Northern Europe, Mm -hmm. the only reason they're seeing advance now is because they developed the ability to kill others without remorse through weaponry. Okay, and that's a historical fact. And so, because our culture is different, it doesn't mean we're inferior. In fact, I'd say our culture is superior. I would say the African culture is superior. I would say the Chinese culture is superior. Killing people and weapons does not make your culture superior. Understood. Enslaving people does not make your culture superior. Mm -hmm. Torturing people and taking their land does not make your culture superior. I would say respecting your parents, respecting your elders, giving special care to the disabled is a more advanced culture than minimizing them than mocking them, than discriminating against them. Understood, understood. And um, I I really believe this. And we, you know, these other issues that we see outside, discrimination against women, discrimination against the disabled, discrimination against anyone who dresses differently, talks differently, it's not part of our culture. Mm We just say they're part of us and they act differently. And if there's difference is going to be hurtful to them, then we give them more protection. Mm -hmm. And so we have staff members who may have schizophrenia or they may have another disorder. We don't fire them. What we do is we make sure that their supervisor checks up on them all the time make sure that they take their lunch break. And I've done that myself. And so when I see some of our fat, our staff that are disabled, I'll, get, I'll tell them to jump in my car and I'll go take them to um, to Latter burger out here mm-hmm. and I'll just buy them lunch mm-hmm. and ask them how they're doing. And if they're in a schizophrenic episode, I'm just talking to them and I'm telling them, if you need anything, you know where I am. And so we take that as an all tribal approach to all people and to all our visitors. Mm-hmm. And when we see this horror of discrimination against others, this horror of superiority, this horror of 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 a, of, of of the winning the war by the sword. This horror of not letting other people talk. It's 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 cultural, it's a cultural invasion, it's colonialism by a culture that we see as being deficient, by a culture that we see as being inferior. But need that say, they will Caucasians are treated well here also. Mm-hmm. And because of that, why do you treat us so badly?
0: understand. Understood. I hate to wrap this up, but I know we have, we are at the time. And I know I have certainly learned a great deal from you, Professor. Um, there are just some things that are not in our history books, as you talked about the crucifixions and the the imposition. I knew about imposition of culture onto tribal colleges, but you have certainly uh, opened up my eyes. So on behalf of our center, and I just want to thank you for your time, Professor DeSoto, and I certainly look forward to working with you moving forward. You are just a wonderful colleague, and I'm really hoping people take the time to listen through the podcast and to learn from your firsthand experiences at tribal colleges. So I thank you very much.
1: Well, thank you, you, uh, Professor Hollis and Raptors
2: Institute.